0: Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. And Andy, uh, we are just a couple days off of the very first Roll for Topic con. We are. Yes, and I know that I am personally still recovering a little bit. <laughs> yes.
1: It'll
0: probably take me a few weeks to do that, um, but yeah, it's sort of a, uh, cons are super fun, but if you're an introvert, I think like both of us, it's it's a very tiring experience. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to. We wanted to take a, take this episode to talk a little bit about that. This is going to be a shorter one. Um, you don't see the comment I just made about the entire, but the uh, yeah, um, Roll for TopicCon twenty twenty one was a small invite only convention that we did in Ann Arbor. Uh, so we rented out a conference room in a hotel, very very fancy and upscale. Um, but we we got together in there with uh, with a bunch of people who had been on the podcast before. We invited uh, those folks over to do, do this convention. And so we played a bunch of games. We did a bunch of other cool stuff, which we'll get into in a second as well. Um, but it went great. It went really well. People are excited about it. And I think we're, we're planning on doing it again. Um, so we thought it might be nice to take a couple minutes to just talk about like, hey, what were the cool things that went really well about it. Um, yeah, just to sort of plant their our, uh, our flag in the ground and say like, yes, this is great. We're going to, we'll probably do, the, do this stuff again. So Andy, why don't you start, I guess, what, what was one thing that really stuck out to you as a, a success from the convention?
1: Sure. Before I start, I was going to say, respond to one of your earlier points. I've been to Gen Con and Origins and a good number of times and After three or four days of those conventions, I always have this combined feeling. It's an exhausted, a good exhausted feeling of being really enthused and energized about my hobby and simultaneously thinking maybe I need to take a total break from RPGs (laughs) for like six months. And although our little mini convention was only one day and, you know, significantly less uh, socially intense than a big con. I I have having that same feeling of excitement and also a little bit of pleasant tiredness. I guess yeah. I guess being involved in kind of organizing it amps up the intensity, even though the event itself was you know a
0: reasonably low key event. So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, I think I I, will, I have never been to Gen Con. I've been to some other other smaller conventions. Yeah, and there is that. I think there's a sense of like, you just, you you know, you have a limited amount of time, so you try to cram as much in as possible in in that amount of time. Yeah, and that just, that can lead to some overload. But we are not here to complain about like our, our personal, (laughs) personal problems with being tired after conventions and, you know, being around people. Um, that will be episode 71. We'll just take an hour and talk about, complain about how tired we are. Yeah, complain about complain about those humans and all the energy that they take. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think for me, the thing that like really sticks out about like what what went well, um, like and what was the success from the convention is the people that were there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like things like this, right? You can do all the planning in the world that you want, but if the people who show up um, aren't engaged, you know, or interested in being there, it's just gonna be, it can fall flat. Everybody there would like really wanted to be there, and I thought that was amazing. Um, It ended up we had six games, I think, that that got Mm -hmm. run that day. Yep. Um, Yeah, and it sounded like all of them went really well. And none of them were fifth edition dungeons. Like, it was all, all sort of like, yeah, lots of different stuff. I played in a DCC funnel that John Corey ran which was just an absolute delight and then um, Matt Wilson who's been on the podcast as well he ran a, The Rough Night at the Three Feathers which was just this lovely wacky Gonzo experience <laughs> as well those were those were the two games that
1: that I played in and then I, I ran one
0: as well uh, which I think it was the end of the day it went pretty well um, there's some stuff I want to change uh, too but yeah it was, it was sure. great it was great fun yeah my um, answer yeah. was going to be exactly the
1: same as yours by the oh, way okay. <laughs> I, mean, I have some other thoughts as well but my main yeah. takeaway was the people they made it a success and mm-hmm. it just made me realize thinking back on it you know i really am in this hobby to play games with people that i'll really like oh yeah and you know like i know this is not the case for everyone and you you do games the way you need to but i don't want to play the most awesome role playing game in the world if it's not with people that i already like you know mm, yeah. and i'll i'll make an exception you know for the gen cons and stuff like that But it was what a pleasure it was to be going to a con filled with people I liked who were enthused to be there. And on top of it, we were playing some, you know, objectively great role-playing games. But Mm -hmm. just the people are wonderful, you know, and we have a lot of talking to do to think about where to... Where to go and what to do with role for Topic con, but the people are what made this successful, much more than the games
0: or the location or anything. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we we had we definitely had some help um putting the, the convention together. Uh yeah. So John Corey and Tim Saucer helped out quite a bit with just like wrangling administrative stuff and getting things planned. Yep. Ordering food and all that that sort of stuff that it turns out that Andy and I are actually quite terrible at i mean we we could do it if we had to but we just we sort of hit this wall and needed to call in help and i think like that that was sort of the theme of the con was just like calling in for help relying on other people i think there's a lot of strength that can happen happen there um yeah and i think it it also takes a little bit of the like the um you're coming to this to be entertained by the people running it it takes that away a little bit when it's like oh no like you're coming because we're creating this space to you know do games and stuff like that Yep the one thing i I wanted to bring up that i thought was was pretty brilliant i'm going to give you credit for this i don't know if you came up with it originally but we had this thing called the swap table at the convention and this was just a a big table that we had set up where people could bring any of their their let's say underutilized role playing game paraphernalia and put it on the swap table and then we had uh, a couple of rounds of just you could go around and just pick up whatever you want I I want to get to your questions that you asked for the swap table because I know those those were amazing. But I mean, to me, what was really fascinating was by the end of the day, like. Probably seventy percent of the stuff on that table had been redistributed. Easily, right? Yep. Yeah, and it it wasn't it wasn't the sort of thing like where people were just bringing like their casts Yeah, right. I was joking about like it wasn't just a bunch of Shadowrun Second Edition books yep. <laughs> stacking up. You know, people were bringing some some good stuff, um, which I think uh, made other people bring some good stuff too, and it just sort of created this, this very virtuous cycle um, where everybody walked out with something interesting and fun and shiny <laughs> in their bags. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I wanted to to bring up um, to kick off the swap table, you ran us through this like this quiz. I'm gonna say of these amazing, <laughs> amazing questions just pulled from role playing game history. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell me about how you even found those, and if you remember any of them off the top of your head, if you could just share one of them, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. For sure. So. Yeah. So as you know, I angsted for weeks about how to do the swap table fairly in a way that wouldn't make anyone feel bitter and angry. So we needed a really impartial way to let people take turns taking stuff off the swap table. And when I saw how awesome the quality was of the stuff on the swap table, I was like doubly angsty because (laughs) as you say, it was not everybody's like second edition Shadowrun 1993 source books. It was... $60 hardcover new games that you can go to Barnes and Noble and pay $60 for. Mm -hmm. And so there's some good stuff on the table. So I decided I, that it would be fun to do some, some kind of role-playing game trivia, but I wanted to make sure it was, I didn't want to, there was a wide range of gaming experience in the room, even though everyone is a GM, but some of them were very new to GMing and some of them have been doing it for decades like me. So I wanted a trivia RPG trivia that being a experienced dungeon master would not truly help you, <laughs> <laughs> like, win. Yeah. So I dug through, I went in the basement, and I started digging through role-playing books. Some newer, but mostly I tried to bias it towards older, more obscure stuff. And I just looked for funny things in those rule books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I remembered that, for instance, the old 1980 uh, spy role-playing game Top Secret had this glorious full-page chart of uh, how long... It would take you to die under various James Bond-style torture uh, yeah. situations. So, uh, you know, like pendulum and laser cutting at you in half, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I found that one of the items on the list was ultrasonic bombardment. So in <laughs> top secret it, the top secret thinks it'll take you two minutes to die from being exposed to that. So, you know, so I just made a dopey trivia question, knowing no one would really know the answer to that. But mm-hmm. hoping... And this did turn out to be the case that people at least get a laugh out of the ridiculousness of it. So yeah,
0: I think like so, GMs are an interesting breed in that I think all of us sort of admit that we don't care about rules, but at the same time we like to memorize them yes. or at least have them have them at the ready. So the the sheer panic that set in when you started asking these questions in a, a group of ten you know ten or eleven people who who consider themselves fairly smart and fairly knowledgeable about games just sort of froze and they're trying to figure <laughs> out like. I don't know how many hit dice a flump has. Like, (laughs) like why don't I know this piece of information? This is important right now. Like I should, I should really know this. Um, it was great. So it ended up being super competitive while we were still laughing at just like how it was impossible. Like I don't, I think no one confidently got anything correct. I don't think P- so.
1: And yeah. our least, the GM with the least like amount of time under their belt as a GM, scored in the top, like the top half of the results. Yeah. So that made me feel good about the situation. And yeah. mostly, I felt good because everyone was laughing. Um, and that. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, yes, it's, yeah. it was a good crowd. Uh, so yeah, that yeah. was the swap table was really good. And the success of that means if we do this again, you know, there has to be some. Some variant of the swap table, but it -hmm. also did drive home for me that, you know, even in a really small event like this, you've got to have one or two other things kind of going on for Mm -hmm. those dead spaces in between games and during meals and stuff. And in this case, the swap table was a great source of conversation because while you were waiting in between games for the next game to start, you know, you would just mill around the table, you would make comments on what people were picking or, you know, offer your hot takes on the various um mm-hmm. uh, books on the swap table. And, you know, I don't know if it always needs to be a swap table, but um, it made me think, you know, it was good. And a, a lot of just the fun chatting came out of, you know, you just got to give people an excuse to give them a little bit of an excuse to socialize, you know, mm-hmm. um, rather than check their phones and yeah. uh, stuff like that. And I think that that worked really well. So.
0: Yeah, I did also like that. As the the day wore on, people's pleas and like their pitches for the for the games yeah. that yeah. they put on the table got increasingly desperate about like, <laughs> yeah, that's like right. can <laughs> I can I interest you? Like you know, like we gotta get this thing sold before the end of the day. Yeah, I
1: could not get anybody to claim my uh, sixth edition champions uh, mm-hmm. rulebook. Uh, yeah, and it's their loss, really. But uh, mm-hmm. but also, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was told by an anonymous person that the the Star Trek trading card game that I that I brought was not even worth the shipping <laughs> <laughs> the shipping costs <laughs> to send it to a friend who truly does love love that game. <laughs> um, so no, the anonymous the anonymous
1: person was me. And okay, I, yeah. I I will speak on behalf of said friend. That was not uttered to insult you. But uh, from the perspective of someone who is still playing a card game like 20 years after its cancellation date, that's that's a unique perspective, I think. Yes. Uh, Joe, average person on the street, would probably derive more value from your cards uh, than than that very specific person. Uh,
0: yes. Um, there was, So there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, and then we, we should wrap up. Uh, me and Phil, uh, who I don't think, he has not been on the podcast, but we're going to change that, change yep. that soon. Um, yep. He he and I made a scavenger hunt for the for the con and we, we hid the clues inside the room to kick off the scavenger hunt and then the yeah. rest of them were, were around the around the hotel. In the morning, Phil showed up a little bit early and just started hiding clues around the space. And okay. like, I, I had a couple in there as well. And we just waited until someone found one. <laughs> and it was the most painful thing, because it was like five PM, I think. Yeah. Is when the, the clue the first clue was actually found. And so meanwhile, I'm trying to be really chill about the fact that like we have this whole, whole extra little thing planned for everybody. You know, I'd even roped in the, um, the front desk into this as well to have one of the clues. Just like watching people walk past like a secret that you put inside of a room is the most painful thing in the world for me, right? Like I'm, I have no chill whatsoever when it comes to secrets. So it's like, is uh, that uh, not well, gming in a nutshell, right? Like, I know, like, yeah. Watching people walk past your secrets, <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it it, it gave uh, gave a lot of perspective about like how someone could miss something in a dungeon that you're running because oh, like, yeah. there's like, there was inside the room there was a whiteboard on which I had written the word clue, <laughs> like just, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I couldn't, it could not have been more obvious, um, like that this thing was different, right? Like, <laughs> like you should, you should explore it. And I did watch Christopher Becker at one point, pick the thing up and look at it and put it back down and then walk away. <laughs> uh, see, um, I l- I looked at that and I was like, Oh, some Joker like defaced the sign to say clue. Like yes. I didn't think of it any further. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah anyway so that, that brought me a lot of delight to have this sort of like this, this hidden thing in there. I mean yeah. just like putting a secret room in a dungeon right? It's like well, if they find it great if they don't, like I'll, I'll repurpose it later. Yeah yeah, but it was a lot of fun and I am, I'm hopeful like so here's your little here's your clue for next year. I will probably do that again because that was that was great. I
1: saw a group of people, I kind of missed out on this, um, I was milling around doing other stuff, but I did see a group of people in the evening uh, embarking on the scavenger hunt and they seemed pretty, uh, they seemed pretty intent on it, so that looked like a fun thing.
0: Yeah. Um, All right, yeah, well, I think that's probably it for us. I mean, we will, knowing us, we will most likely strip mine that event for all sorts of lessons that we learned over the coming months on the podcast um but yeah it was it was super great um again if you came i'm super thankful that you came and you have invested yourself in this community you know if you didn't come cuz either you weren't invited or you couldn't make it or whatever i'm really hopeful that the next time that we do this we can we can find a way to open it up to to more folks um in a you know in a safe and fun and engaging way um yep. so yeah we we will see um <laughs> how that goes yeah absolutely
1: and you uh, shouted out the games you played so let me just do a quick shout oh, yeah. out to the ones i was in Yeah, so I played a game run by the aforementioned Phil of Heart, The City Beneath, uh, and that was uh, really fun, What a really great setting, and Phil, um, I am sometimes just in awe when I see like a GM winging it, like when I know they're winging it, and I keep waiting, are they going to be able to truly keep running with this ridiculous ball we've tossed them, and Phil kept running with it, and we, we completely derailed his planned adventure almost instantly, and then i ran a uh, spectacularly fun game of predation uh mm. that's a cipher system setting uh run by uh tim saucer a, a familiar uh familiar face or voice on this podcast so mm-hmm. and then lastly of course i ran your super creative uh many mind mega dungeon which um i want us in a future episode to to swing back and talk about that experience a little bit cuz i want to hear i want to um pick your brain a little bit about the thinking that went into that cuz that was super fun and a really creative experience so
0: yeah yeah, I think the, the only other game that we didn't talk about was uh, so Kyle Latina ran his Cursebreaker game. Yes. Uh, neither of us played in it, although it sounded like it, it went super well. Yes, um, I had a chance to play Cursebreaker the weekend before, um, so I don't even know what day we're recording this. But I had a chance to play play Cursebreaker Cursebreaker pretty recently, and it's it's fun. It's a great system. I mean, it's all it's all driven by his his old roads um, maps yeah. that he's been doing and those are just wonderful to look at and to to think about as well uh but yeah that's and sound like yeah that went really well too uh yeah i think a a handful of these games might end up being like (laughs) being annual games that we end up playing at the con um yeah all right Um, well let's wrap it up yeah that sounds good all right well uh i've been chris salzman
1: i've been andy Rao. and remember if your players are having fun you're a great
0: gm